For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The Washington State Fish and Wildlife Commission voted earlier this month to suspend the state's permit-only spring black bear hunt. Opponents argued that the hunt threatens the bear population and is a, quote, cruel way to kill black bears as they attempt to recover from hibernation and raise their cubs. Supporters of the hunt, which include the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, argued that the spring hunt is a key tool to manage the bear population, mitigate tree and property damage, limit ungulate mortality, and reduce human-bear conflicts. Side note, if you're wondering about the tree damage part of the bear situation, and you need a good short read and some context regarding black bears and tree conflict, find Born Under a Stump. The Life and Legend of Big Bill Hewlett by Russ Hewlett. The word cambium will forever be blazed into your brain. Anyway, they also pointed out that spring hunts have been taking place in the state for decades without apparent harm to the bear population. In 2021, only a single lactating female was harvested among the 124 total bears killed that spring. By the way, 124 bears is not a lot of bears. In addition, the spring hunt represents only a fraction of the total bear harvest. Over the past five years, Washington's average fall black bear harvest was 1,556 animals, while the spring average was only 114. In short, the commission's decision does not appear based in the science the state of Washington invests in, and hunters pay for the hunt accomplishes several important management goals without threatening the bear population or resulting in the large-scale death of sows with cubs. 
So, why did commissioners vote to suspend the 2022 spring bear hunt in Washington? There are several reasons. First, you should know that the vote literally could not have been closer. The commission is supposed to have nine members representing different regions of the state, but Democratic Governor Jay Inslee has dragged his feet appointing a ninth commissioner. This spring, the spring bear hunt must be reauthorized every year, so the commission's 4-4 split vote suspended the hunt. Commissioners who voted against the hunt questioned whether the Department of Fish and Wildlife was accurately estimating the bear population. But one of their main arguments had nothing to do with science. Quote, Like it or not, it's a social issue that we have many people concerned about, said Commissioner Frank Kuntz during a recent commission meeting. Kuntz argued that if they don't succumb to social pressure to ban the hunt, animal rights groups could turn to the legislature or a ballot initiative. Then, all of a sudden, we have a bigger problem than we ever imagined, he said. Commissioner Larry Carpenter, who also voted no, made a similar argument in an interview with Northwest Sportsman. Many believed Carpenter would vote to continue the spring hunt, but he disappointed expectations this year, he says, to get the hunt on more solid ground for the long term. He wants to put the spring hunt on the docket again next year, when hopefully the Department of Fish and Wildlife has a firmer grasp on the current state of the black bear population. The question, of course, is whether the animal rights activists who currently oppose the hunt will be convinced by any amount of new scientific evidence. I'm going to go out on a limb and say no, they won't at all. They don't like black bear hunting, they don't like hunting, and this is what they do. Their arguments aren't based on science or reason. They're based on emotion, and they're using their small group of passionate supporters to put pressure on commissioners. In this arena, they've kicked our butts. At the public comment meeting, 50 of the 53 people who testified opposed the hunt, according to Northwest Sportsman. They described the hunt as unethical, a trophy hunt, an outrage, and, quote, recreational assassination. In light of this overwhelming public opposition, it's no wonder the commission voted to suspend the hunt. Maybe, it goes without saying, but the hunting community has to do better. We need to show up to these commission meetings, we need to contact our representatives, and we need to stop assuming that the anti-hunting lobby will ever be satisfied with anything but a total hunting ban. Back in the 90s, these animal rights groups convinced Washington to ban bear baiting and bear hunting with dogs but they weren't satisfied. Now, they're going after bear hunting altogether, and they're picking the spring hunt as their first easy target. It's possible the commission votes to reinstate the spring hunt next year. I hope they do. The North American model of wildlife conservation is one of the greatest conservation success stories in history, and it's been largely driven and funded by hunters and anglers. Waterfowl, turkeys, mule deer, and black bass thrive today thanks to this model. Keep track of your state's wildlife commission meetings, and when the time comes, tell that story. Explain why many of America's most iconic animals owe their survival to the outdoor community, and when providing testimony at your commission meeting, which I know you will do, be prepared and practiced to succinctly state why hunting is important to you, your community, and how you utilize the animals you kill when you are fortunate enough to connect with one. My experience at meetings like this is that non-hunters assume that every time a hunter hits the woods, an animal dies. A little context on how much time in the woods is needed on average to bring something home is helpful. 
especially when you are filling up the vehicle and buying groceries in the small communities that border your favorite locations. I guarantee you, just because you don't want to show up to the meetings doesn't mean the animal rights folks don't want to either. This week, we've got Wisconsin Whitetails, Ticks, Transmissions, and the Kings game. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week has all of a sudden gone from a disappointing 75 degrees in Kansas to a feels a heck of a lot colder than the thermometer reads 11 degrees in Wisconsin. I've been visiting my friend and longtime friend of meat eater, Doug Duran. Doug, busy as always, has had me out for the last two days of muzzleloader season and the first ever doe derby, which coincidentally coincides with the last doe season, rifle season, of the year. The doe derby is a concoction of his that is an attempt to incentivize landowners to allow hunters particularly new hunters onto their property to kill white-tailed does, and to incentivize hunters in general to get out and take advantage of a final rifle season aimed at, you guessed it, harvesting more white-tailed does. In previous years, many landowners and the state of Wisconsin have recognized that there are an overabundance of white-tails in many counties. Overpopulation has effects on agriculture, including woodlots, and higher deer densities lead to more accidents on the roadways and higher concentrations of CWD, brainworm, and other diseases. If you have heard of Doug Duran, you probably at this point associate him with chronic wasting disease or CWD. Doug has, perhaps more than most, possibly less than some, taken CWD very seriously. Although Doug has never personally killed a deer with CWD during his hunting season, he has been positively motivated by the sight of CWD-infected deer to, you know, be proactive about things. Chronic wasting disease, as everybody knows by now, right, is a folded-over protein, a prion that builds for 12 to 14 months to really we don't quite know, and in the later stages starts poking little holes in ungulates' brains, they in turn have a slow, miserable, drooling death. It's not pretty. Chronic wasting disease is relatively new on the landscape. We don't truly know all the things that we do need to know about it. Speaking with a local biologist for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, Their stance is, help us out by participating in voluntary CWD testing of your deer. A negative test result or a non-positive test result is just as important as a positive test result. What they're trying to do is they're trying to understand how CWD spreads, at what rate, in what age of animals is it most prevalent, and they need your help to do it. Keep in mind, you could take chronic wasting disease and think about it in terms of COVID. Not a darned person on the planet loves to be told what to do. The word mandatory, be it quarantine or face masks or that super scary word vaccine, sounds very good with the word mandatory in front of it or behind it or associated with it in any way. However, voluntary is a good thing. And right now, with chronic wasting disease, before it possibly spreads to humans, 
or other animals such as cattle that consume the exact same grass that an infected deer could cough up prions onto. Just so you know that I'm not, you know, the preacher, but also part of the choir, I guess. The uh, deer that my girlfriend shot on the last day of Montana hunting season, we turned in the head to Montana Fishing Game. They tested for CWD, and we just got a negative or non-positive test result on that animal. So, you know, we're uh, harvesting deer in a zone that is not known for CWD, but we are hunters who care about the resource. It's very easy for us, and for all of you truly, to turn in a head or a set of lymph nodes to add to the information surrounding chronic wasting disease. We're citizen scientists. Science rules. Hunting is conservation, remember? Anyway, moving on. Scientists at Yale University have developed a new vaccine against ticks that's been successful in early testing on guinea pigs. Now, if you don't own a guinea pig, this still applies to you. You might think I'm being sort of imprecise here, because, you know, shouldn't it be a vaccine against tick-borne diseases, not the ticks themselves? If we need something effective against a tick, isn't that what the flea and tick collars we get for dogs are for? But that's the extremely smart thing about this vaccine. It is actually targeting compounds in the saliva of the ticks rather than any of the specific diseases that the saliva carries. Sort of like shutting down a road rather than trying to disable all the specific cars on that road. This is a good approach because ticks carry a lot of different diseases. You have likely heard of or even contracted Lyme's disease. I have. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever or the dreaded Alpha-Gal Syndrome, which makes you violently allergic to red meat. But ticks can also give you typhus, rickets eel pox, Bhutanese fever, African tick bite fever, Flinders Island spotted fever, Queensland typhus, Q fever, Colorado tick fever, Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, tularemia, tick-borne relapsing fever, babesiosis, ehrlichiosis, meningioencephalitis, bovine anaplasmosis, heartland virus, and something called the bourbon virus, which I need to look into further, but I guarantee is less fun than it sounds, and that's just a selection. Remember, you can always correct my pronunciation at A-S-K-C-A-L, that's spelled askcal at themeateater.com. Trying to develop a vaccine for all of these nasties is therefore much more complicated than just going after the compounds that almost all ticks everywhere have in their saliva. In the Yale trials, vaccine antibodies attacked those proteins at the site of the tick bite, quickly creating a visible redness that let scientists locate and remove the ticks before they had time to transmit their nasty cargo. This is important because, as you likely know, one of the most dangerous things about ticks is how hard they are to detect. When they bite you, they inject compounds known as evasins, which deactivate the inflammatory response, like itching and redness, that comes with other kinds of insect bites. That term, evasin, as you can probably tell, comes from the word evasive, the quality of being able to avoid or bypass something. If you need it in a sentence, old cow is out evasing tick-borne diseases. That's called a joke, folks. Anyway, making a tick bite more annoying makes it easier to find and get rid of the tick. One of the lead authors on the study, Errol Fickrig, said, quote, 
When you feel a mosquito bite, you swat it. With the tick vaccine, there is a redness and likely an itch, so you can recognize that you have been bitten and can pull the tick off quickly. Remember, early detection is key to curbing the effects of Lyme's disease, let alone all the rest of those hard-to-pronounce diseases. Interestingly, the compounds that cause this redness and itching, called chemokines, also cause other inflammatory diseases when they get out of control in the body, such as asthma, arthritis, and cancer. Evasins, like those in tick saliva, are therefore being studied as a possible treatment for inhibiting chemokines to treat these illnesses. One person's trash, or tick bite rather, is another's treasure. Anyway, in addition to making tick bites more detectable, the Yale vaccine also prevented ticks from feeding as successfully and made them much easier to dislodge. Scientists took parts of the genetic code for tick saliva and embedded them in messenger RNA, or mRNA. mRNA tells other DNA in your body what kind of proteins to create. The body reads that tick saliva code and produces the corresponding antibodies. The common metaphor for mRNA vaccines is that they are the blueprint for a virus or antigen. It's as though the body were looking at a plan of a house and deciding where to put the furniture rather than having to walk into a fully built spec house to make the same decisions. Luke Holmes, solid as a rock. If you remember back to our episode on antivenom, when old Snort was bitten by a rattler, you'll recall that the antivenom works on a similar vaccine model of prompting the body to create antibodies with harmless versions of venom molecules. Some dog trainers will even use antivenom in advance to, in effect, vaccinate their dogs against snake bites. So many in our lifetimes will see this development of mRNA antivenom vaccines. There's obviously been a lot of vaccine hesitancy recently, but it will be interesting to see whether the tick vaccine will get skeptics over the line. There are a whole lot of people who live for eating red meat and facing the possibility of contracting alpha-gal and then finding barbecue disgusting is something anyone can take seriously, even you Texans. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support, and that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person, and that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cal. That's meatfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it 
to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Over to the uh, tea and crumpets desk. The National Trust in the UK has banned the practice known as trail hunting on all of its land, almost 620,000 acres across England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Trail hunting is what people invented after fox hunting was banned in the UK in 2004. Instead of chasing a real fox, a rag soaked in fox scent is dragged along a course. The dogs follow the scent and hunters on horseback in very specific outfits chase the dogs and blow a horn and do all the things that you see in old cartoons, which, you know, approximates the original hunt as best they can. That likely sounds pretty harmless to you, and you might wonder why it would be banned. Well, earlier this year, the head of Britain's main fox hunting organization was caught leading webinars, teaching people to pretend to be trail hunting while actually hunting live foxes. That's right, they're still learning what the internet is. This corroborated the claims of anti-hunters who said that trail hunting had always just been a smokescreen for illegal fox hunts, which in turn led to the trail hunting ban on National Trust lands. We talked about fox hunting around this time last year because Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, is traditionally the biggest fox hunt of the year. In that episode, we talked about another smokescreen fox hunters had been using, toting along a falcon, because hunting foxes with falcons is legal in the UK, and it should be because raptors are extremely cool. However, folks even use this as another loophole to just chase foxes with horses, which equated to even more bad publicity. And no matter what you think about hunting foxes in particular, there are a whole bunch of things about this story that might make you glad to be hunting, well, anywhere outside the United Kingdom. First off, let's look at the entity that's implementing this particular ban. The name National Trust might make you think of our national parks, but in Britain, the public doesn't own any land at all. The National Trust is a private organization that has taken control of certain culturally important pieces of land, as well as certain historical buildings and objects, in order to preserve those things and make sure they never get sold off, which is a fantastic mission. But when you get right down to it, regular Joes, or I guess regular Nigels in this case, 
can only access National Trust land because the National Trust agrees to let them do so. This is a similar setup to all the other land that the public can access in the United Kingdom. Traditionally, large estate owners would set aside areas so that non-landowners could graze animals, cut hay, so on. And this territory is still known as the commons. Those who use it are known as commoners. And you thought you wouldn't learn anything today. Similarly, people are able to walk all across Britain because private landowners agree to leave walking trails open. Again, this is really nice of the private landowners, and the tradition of, quote, right to roam is very, very strong in the UK, but there is no fundamental right at the bottom of it all for the public to be in those places. And throughout British history, many pieces of land traditionally set aside for commoners became more enclosed and inaccessible. Part of the reason fox hunting got started in the first place was because tracts of land big enough to support deer habitat were split up, and eventually there were very few deer left to hunt. The other thing about the British trail hunting news that makes me happy to live and hunt in the United States is reading about the anti-hunters in the United Kingdom. Just the names of those organizations give you an idea of what it's like over there. The League Against Cruel Sports is one. But my favorite is the Hunt Saboteurs Association. Over here, it is against the law to harass hunters in the field. Over there, the harassment you can put right in the title of your organization. These groups are pressuring other landowners in the UK to ban trail hunting as well, like the Ministry of Defense, Forestry of England, and the Crown. You know, the Queen. Again, no public ownership of land over there. Even just finding out who owns land in the UK is almost impossible. Much of that information is a closely guarded secret. The idea of walking around with Onyx on your phone and seeing who owns what is kind of out of the question. You might be wondering why I'm going on about hunting and land ownership in Britain. Well, the first reason is that this is the time of year we traditionally pause and express our gratitude for the good things in our lives. I feel very grateful for my ability to drive down the road to land I own in common with the rest of you and pursue animals to feed myself and my loved ones. And second, I need to include some news from the UK, not just for my listeners over there who will write in and let me know what to think about my writings. But also, I'm talking about the UK because certain things here in the US of A are really not so different after all if you're paying attention. Consider the recent ban on trapping on public land in New Mexico. Consider the closing of public land to non-subsistence hunters in Alaska. Or that Washington State bear hunt suspension we mentioned earlier. Just recently, the Center for Biological Diversity filed a lawsuit against U.S. Fish and Wildlife for expanding hunting on national wildlife refuges. And what should maybe make us most uncomfortable when we compare ourselves to the United Kingdom? Consider that only 4% of the land in Britain is considered developed, meaning very little over there is irreversibly messed up. Defining quote-unquote Developed land in the U.S. is difficult, and by far the largest land use category in America is cattle grazing, but the fastest growing land use category in the U.S. is urban sprawl. And right up there is acquisition of land by wealthy buyers. In fact, according to the Land Report magazine, between 2008 and 2018, the amount of land owned by the 100 largest private landowners 
grew from 28 million acres to 40 million acres, an area larger than the state of Florida. While that in itself can be, and in a lot of instances has been, a very good thing, it's only a good thing if it's left in open space and not turned into those terrible ranchettes. You know, you've heard me talk about this. We want cows, not condos. Cow elk or, you know, something to consider too. Along with this list of threats is a growing push to privatize and monetize wildlife. So, while we feel grateful for what we have, we've got to stay extremely frosty to protect and expand it. Let's not let the relationship between hunters and non-hunters get as bad in America as it seems to be in the UK. Hunters in the UK are marginalized easily because hunting there is expensive, almost exclusively an upper-class activity that long, long ago excluded the commoners. So, if you had success in the field this fall, how about inviting over some non-hunters for some of that venison backstrap or goose-leg confit? Maybe during this dinner party. See if you can work in a few key concepts about hunting licenses and tags, paying for conservation, or even how cool it is that here we have over 640 million acres of public land to go out and enjoy. And, by the way, did you know that in the U.S., the game is owned by the people? And what a great concept that is. Doesn't matter where that white-tailed buck deer sits, if he's on public or on private, it is not property of the landowner, but of the people and managed by the state. You know, get all that across without being too long-winded. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not noticed, winter has finally started to arrive. You may want to go to www.steeldealers.com and be prepared, as I am, with a clean, quiet, powerful steel battery-powered chainsaw. Toss her behind your seat. You never know when you'll need it. And last but not least, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.